Seven Days to Play. Welcome to Seven Days to Play, your weekly mobile gaming review program. I am Tice. And I'm Sam. For the past seven days, I have selected for us to play Slay the Spire. So Slay the Spire is a 2017 game that came out from an indie game development company called Mega Crit. Mega Crit has worked together with Humble Games, the the platform that sells you all these good humble these good uh, indie games and like a yeah the nice Very little humble, bu- humble bundle package. Um, and so they're now publishing games, and they have published Slay the Spire, which is a deck building game. Are you familiar with deck building games? I am slightly familiar with deck building games, but only ever. Uh, physical cards. This is the first time I think I've played a digital game based on deck building. Right. So this is not only a deck building game, which we'll get into later on describing this. Uh, This is also a roguelike game where, you know, everyone sort of starts from zero at the beginning and then you make your way collecting these things throughout your run and the things that you collect are usually randomized, right? So really popular roguelike. So there was a game called Rogue for those. I feel like we've explained this before, but let me explain it again. There was this game called Rogue where all the instances are kind of randomized. So every play that you have will be randomized depending on what you pick up along the way, what kind of choices, what kind of enemies you might face. Uh, and so that has recently gotten really good in terms of in the game development, because all you're doing is setting, um, essentially, you're just setting the stage and you're introducing these variables, and these and these variables can be randomized for every run, making the gameplay a lot more replayable in different runs. Right. So, so you, are you saying that the bones of a roguelike game can be used in lots of games, like that structure of like being able to make different choices and pick up things on the way, and then, and then you can start again and you could have a completely different outcome. Right. I mean, think about. Um, really popular battle royale games that we play now, right? I feel like there is a touch of roguelike in them, which makes it really intriguing. Like, you don't know what weapons you're going to pick up along the way. So, like, a game like PUBG, everyone is going in there with the same tools, right? And you're essentially picking up random weapons that are thrown across the map, and you don't know exactly which one you're going to get. And there's a there's a bit of excitement from that because you never you kind of have to, like, you know deal with what you're given but then at the same time the more skilled you are you know how to work with the elements that you're given i was going to say that like that's in those sort of games theoretically there's no unfair advantages there because no one you know spawns with anything to a degree that someone else couldn't get but you just mentioned then it's a level of skill then right like to deal with what you pick up and to be better based on having played it before or you maybe you understand the map more or you understand the structure at least so that gives you a, an advantage i guess if you're playing it against other people that maybe aren't paying as much attention to that or haven't played as often or aren't as familiar with what you know what's behind this door or what's around this corner or whatever it may be totally right and it can all depend on the speed at which you move as well like people who are really experienced with the game they don't have to take the time to like read every single thing and describing what that is. They'll just know immediately like, oh yeah, this is a tool that I want. I want to have this with me as I make, as I go forward with the run. Right. And I think that sometimes lends itself to better gameplay. Um, But before we get into what roguelikes are and why this is a roguelike, 
Um, this is primarily a card game, a deck building card game. But I think what might help is if I read the description, the Apple App Store description. Please do. We fused card games and roguelikes together to make the best single player deck builder we could. Craft a unique deck, encounter bizarre creatures, discover relics of immense power, and slay the spire. Features. Dynamic deck building. Choose your cards wisely. Discover hundreds of cards to add to your deck with each attempt at climbing the spire. Select cards that work together to efficiently dispatch foes and reach the top. An ever-changing spire. Whenever you embark on a journey up the spire, the layout differs each time. Choose a risky or safe path, face different enemies, choose different cards, discover different relics, and even fight different bosses. So I think that clearly describes, maybe not clearly, but it gives you some sense of what this game is all about. It is one part deck builder, one part roguelike. It's a lot of uh, really descriptive words. I, I like that conjures up a pretty amazing image. I mean, I think reading that description, you, you, you probably have a good idea of what you're getting yourself in for. But for someone that hasn't played a game like this before, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more that I had to learn, which we can get into. Um, so, yeah, it's, this is a deck building game. So if you're familiar or might not be familiar with games like Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering, um, they're games where you're given a card and each card has some sort of ability. And these abilities are very detailed, meaning... Um, you know, there are like attack cards. So there are some cards where you have, where you can play and it's like, okay, now you can remove, uh, three hit points from a specific enemy. And then there can be like defense cards or like play this card and it'll negate all the damages that are coming to you this round. Right. And these cards are, um, you know, they have your basic cards, which have like very minimal functionality. And then they have, you have your rare cards, which have extra abilities and, Usually there's like uh, some way that you have to pay for them. In this particular game, uh, I believe they're called like energy slots or um, you have you start off with three, meaning that there are three points that you can use to play any of these cards. And each one of these cards has like either one, two, three, sometimes four energy car uh, energy slots that you can use to play that card. So for example, like in your deck, um, when you're given a hand at the beginning of the turn, you're given, I think, five cards or seven cards to begin with. During that hand, you can see all the cards that you have, and some basic cards will be like, okay, you can now attack your enemy. Uh, you need to spend one energy point in order to take five damage from your enemy. right? And so you play that card. Whenever you play that card, one of your energy goes out, uh, and then you have the choice to play the remaining cards. Once you're done, you can even end prematurely and say, okay, end this turn the enemy will then have their way and either attack you or do something, right? And then the game continues. Uh, the, and so that's, by and large, the deck-building portion. Well, I was going to say, the, like, is that, the is that card something... card game portion. You have a lot more experience with this style of game. Um, is that pretty common, the idea that you have, like, a finite amount of, let's energy. say, currency or energy to spend, and it's probably less than the total count of cards you have or something like that. So the idea is like choose wisely as opposed to right. like you've got five points and five cards. So just it's it's really a matter of order then. I got the impression that it was because I'm very I'm, I'm definitely a novice with these sort of games. So but I got the impression immediately that it was designed. This concept is designed to make you think about what you play rather totally. than just spamming cards. 
Right. And in normal card games like Magic the Gathering, it's going to be the case where like you have one deck, right? I think it's usually about like 60 cards or something like that. And you want to organize them so there's a good balance of things that give you energy versus things that you can do so that after you shuffle it and when you're dealt with like a hand, you have a good balance of being able to play those cards, right? Otherwise, you're going to have to actually go through the deck and actually wait until the card that you choose comes out or the card that you want comes out. Oh, I see. Right. And they've made a lot of adjustments to that format with games like Hearthstone and in particular with this game, right, which is a deck building game. So you're actually building your deck as you're playing through the different levels, which is kind of a newer concept that I think board games started to implement, right? You start off with a really basic deck that gives you the most basic defense and attack functionality. I was going to say just really simple, like straightforward attack, straightforward defense, no, right. no multipliers, no kind of like epic things. Right. And then the deck building in this game comes where after you finish each level, you're rewarded by giving, uh, by having a choice of three cards that you can then add to your deck. Now, these choices of cards will usually get better the, the longer you play in your run, right? So like the higher up and the level you get, the more rare and the more functionality these cards will have. But in the beginning, they'll just be like slight improvements, right? Like um, what's normally like an attack card, it might be like, okay, spend one energy to remove five hit points from your enemy. Uh, a card that might be rewarded might be something like, oh, now you can spend two energy to remove 15 hit points from an enemy, right? And so you're like, oh yeah, sure, I want that card. I'm going to put that card into my deck. And so the next time you play with that deck, which is usually the next round, the chance of that card coming up is going to be 1 to 21. I think you start off with 20 cards in the beginning, right? And so the more of those cards that you have in your deck, the more chances that you're going to get them in your hand. I see. So you're trying to increase the... I was, I was going to say, like, do, do were the cards being... I wasn't paying enough attention, but were, were you, do you have to give up a card to add a card or is it simply additive? It's simply additive. And also, in this particular game in Slay the Spire, after your hand runs out, or like after your deck sort of goes away, it just becomes reshuffled and you start over again. So... That's the other good thing about this game is that there is a sense of, okay, I, I wasn't able to use that card in the last round or like in the... Uh, so I sh probably shouldn't pick it up. Uh, maybe I won't pick it up again. Or like, would you think differently about going again with that card? Or Right. So there are other options that you can do as well. So what what's smart about this game is it gives you moments of where you can actually discard the card. Uh, like there's a shop where you can say, oh, remove a couple of my cards or remove the mid -game. cards. Mid-game. Yeah, mid-game. Wow, that doesn't seem... I'm learning as we go here, but that doesn't seem traditional. Like in other games, you, I imagine what you get, like you've, you've made your choice, you need to live with it, you know. Why do you right. think they added that? So <laughs> another option, it's to, it's to form a strategy, right? Mm. Like you can say, oh, I, I really want to cater my deck towards this direction. And the more that you play, the more that you actually find out about the different strategies that are available. Right. There are strategies where it's just pure attack, right? You want to go for like just this pure attack thing. Onslaught. Onslaught. Like you can have them weak by giving them some ability where your damages do more damage. So um, there's like these little conditions that you can apply to your enemies. Like I think it's called weaken or even you can strengthen yourself. So every damage that you do going forward actually increases the damage. So 
let's say you have a card that normally does five damage. If you play a strengthened card on yourself, then that same damage card can do like eight damage rather than five. Uh, and so like these are like cool little things. Exactly. So like one other strategy, like one other card that presents itself to you is, hey, you can only play this card if your hand only has attack cards, right? And for every oh. attack card there is, plus five damage for each attack card, something like that, right? And so you can form a strategy around this. Like, yeah, I'm going to go for this like major crit damage, right? So I'll get like two of those cards to make sure that they show up. I'll remove my defense cards because I don't want those to show up because if they do, the chances of my hands being all uh, attack cards might be less. And then whenever you get that opportunity or like that strategy then forms and you can then play it effectively. Fascinating. Would you, would you, do you think you wouldn't do a move like that for just one round or is that the kind of thing that you kind of like, that would be like the entire, you know, Deck. That would so I think the the other thing about this game is like the first playthrough that you do it's all about the basics right you just you can just play it casually you can just say oh, okay I'm just gonna pick this card up because it seems cool it felt pretty then, straightforward the monsters they weren't too high in hit points like you know I felt like someone was holding my hand right and then the more you play it the more you actually read about these cards the more that you actually want to try and experiment like oh okay this card actually does something really weird let me see how I can use this right. And then whenever it comes to you, you try it out and you're like, wow, that actually did a lot of damage or like that got me really safe. You start to form your deck around it and you start to form or like a strategy around how you're going to play next time. And it's really cool because like all these cards gives you little hints on like what to do next. But let's get to the other part, which is the roguelike portion of this game. So it is a roguelike, meaning no run is ever going to be the same. Right. And I think the the first thing that kind of differentiates itself, even from when you actually start playing, is like you can select one out of four starting points uh, to which right, that be was, like your first level. I kind of like that. I, I, I mean, again, being a novice and, and not really even realizing things like it being rogue, like I really like the the visual representation of um, choosing your path. And for those that are listening, it's like really, I think it's really nicely illustrated. It's just, you can, you've got a little couple of different paths you can take. And then it, it, without any words, you can kind of get it. You're like, should I go this way or that way? And right. even just that little, that little mechanic I thought was, um, was nice. I kind of understood that that made me feel like, wow, I could play this. It, I, without even knowing that you could play it again, I didn't really understand that off the bat, but that little representation told me that there are many paths. So not only that, that map changes every time you start oh, wow. a new run yeah so like there i think there are like four or five maps to get to the end of the spire right so the first map i think is called like the city or something like that um or the underground or some something like that right and there are i think about 10 points that you can go through for each map uh, but not only that every time you start a completely new run like let's say you die and you have to start over from the beginning that initial map will also change depending on the paths that are available to you. Well, I was going to say, so you couldn't just like, you know, I remember choose your own adventure books when I was a kid and I'd put little post-it notes in to help me get back if I fell off a ledge and died, you know, kind of right. trying to hack the system when I was six. But so you couldn't even really memorize your path and then try to do it again and expect, you know, and just where you turn left, you should have turned right. Like it sounds like it's going to be, you're going to have to go again anyway. Right. 
there are some uh, like guardrails, I think, in meaning in the first map, only a certain number or a certain level of bad guys are going to appear. And then, okay. uh, so you can kind of gauge it that way. Like you get used to the number, the, the kind of enemies that will appear in a certain map or like at a certain point on the map as you go up. Um, and so I think those kind of guardrails are good, meaning it's not going to randomly just show a super hard bad guy at like the first map. There's some control that happens there. But yeah, overall, like I think the more you play, the more you're familiar with um, the rules that sort of govern it. And I think that's kind of uh, the fun aspect of learning the rules around this and learning the rules of the cards. How much do you think your experience with both deck building and roguelike games affected how you felt with this game? Right. So that is a good question. I do feel like my like I'm very familiar with Magic the Gathering. I'm very familiar with Hearthstone. So straight up mechanics and learning how to use some of those cards were kind of instantly available to me. Um, right. When so I it, saw felt, it felt familiar. Like you kind of yeah. knew what you're looking at. Right. Like I knew that, oh, I need to kind of save my energy and make decisions and use a certain card whenever I want to rather than figuring stuff out like along the way. So I think immediately I had that part of an edge. Uh, in terms of like the deck building, um, I'm familiar with the concept, but you don't know what cards you're going to get is I think the the tough one. Uh, and so you kind of just have to like read all the cards, consider like, okay, how could I use this? And I think people who are familiar with these kind of games will be able to do that a lot easier, right? So initially beginners might not know what a powerful card would be by just reading it. Whereas more experienced players, even with other games, they might look at a card and say, oh, wow, I can see how this could be super powerful later on. I was, I was going to ask you, how do you, do you know what, what that more intermediate player would be looking for? Like, are there any telltale signs with those sorts of cards that would pick your ears up and be like, oh, I should stash this for later or I should avoid this, it's not worth it? Right, yeah, I think that just has to be like, your experience it's a mix of experience if you're not familiar with it like intermediate players i think even if they're if they're not familiar with playing this game i think it it kind of be hard to assess what might be good unless they've actually played like a few rounds of it but i think that's probably what makes um the game good for players like that new new or experience is that you can play it again and it does sound, from what you're saying it sounds like the replayability would add to your ability to understand like what to look for Right. Uh, and what to, you know, like what to maybe keep for later or, 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 or discard. Totally. Um, yeah. And then there's always like a screen where you can see to see all the cards that are currently in your hand, right? Uh, or currently in your deck, right? Um, I think you can always pause it and get familiar with like the cards that are in there. And you can, you know, mentally make a note of like, okay, this card keeps showing up and I'm never using it. Maybe next time I get the opportunity to remove it, like I'll just remove it, right? The other thing is outside of the randomness of the levels within the map and then the maps also changing and then the cards given to you within each map, after you finish a run and you beat the Spire, there's actually different characters that you can play as, meaning totally different game styles of the initial cards that are given to you. So, oh, really? That that yeah. changed the I didn't know that. I noticed you could choose uh, the characters. I think it, you can only choose one in the beginning. Uh, but that changed the gameplay, choosing a different character? Right. So the, main, the, the character that you choose in the beginning is very straightforward, meaning it's just like an attack and defense. 
I think down the line, I haven't unlocked it yet as well, but down the line, like I'm sure there's going to be much more complex strategies of people that, you know, reverses or like that use their defense points as attack points, you know, people that can mm. like flip those around or like, you know, have different conditions. Yeah. So I think like there's definitely more room for replayability there. I mean, that's um, to me, it sounds like this. Yeah. You could play this game for, you could play this game for a long time. I think if it was your jam. Right. So speaking of it being your jam, this, this game is very sort of gamey gamey. Like it's, it's a mix between something that's like almost like a tabletop game, right? Like a tabletop card game. That's very crunchy, like has a lot of like calculations and math and like, it's a little cerebral meaning like you have to strategize a little bit. How did, how did you fare with this game? It's a good question. Uh, it was tough for me, I think, in that I don't have the experience that you have, but more so that I've, I've, I think this is the kind of game that if I wanted to learn more about it, I would have preferred to play it in person. Mm. I think it's the kind of thing where I've had limited exposure to things like Magic the Gathering in the past, um, but there is definitely a social dynamic that I wondered if we could talk about a little bit there where... For me as a novice with these sorts of games, turn-based games or, or, or deck building, whatever, whatever it may be, I think the social side for a beginner is very, very helpful with learning, how, learning those mechanics and those kind of like built-in things that I would imagine some intermediate players would just take for granted if they've been playing for like a long time. Uh, and a lot of my friends growing up right. were very, very into these sorts of games, like you know, physically in person. Obviously, there's a huge community for that. Uh, so right off the bat, I kind of wished I had spent more spent more time playing those games when I was younger to better understand some of those fundamentals because I knew that I probably was making rush decisions and not really thinking about it, not reading mm. in deep enough, not understanding some of those mechanics that you just talked about then. So I think we can dig into it more, but I think uh, this is the kind of game where I almost wanted to call you and have, have you on a call and then like walk through it with you almost, which sounds like ridiculous, but it's right. because then I just, I just feel like part of the, part of the, I was going to say the magic, that's a, that's a, that's an avoidable dad joke, but part of the joy in some of these games, I'm sure <laughs> comes from the social side of it and being able to learn from your friends and be destroyed by your friends, of course, as well. Right. So that's the really interesting thing, right? Like this is definitely mimicking a physical game right in an electronic format but at the same time it, it's kind of removing that that physical social element that you're talking about right like for example like with magic the gathering it is a 1v1 game where you're playing against someone and it's a great game to be introduced to because like the other player who might be more experienced can like walk you through things right like here's a really basic deck like you can play these cards this way like you have to tilt these cards in order to play them and then here's how you play, and then here's how I'm going to play, right? And, like, you get that sense of social. But also, like, if, if that um, was you and I, and I could go to play a card, and then you could be like, you sure you want to play that? And be like, no. And then, you know, like, that I miss, right. to be honest. I think with digital games that you're playing that don't have a right. social aspect where you, can, where you can connect with people that you know, as they can, these, these uh, studios can do everything in their power to try and give you the the wizard training and the and the you know slow gentle kind of increase to like the mechanics but i do think that you you just can't replace that social aspect of like learning with a friend 
Um, and I, mm. I don't blame them. I think, you know, if it's right. a game that doesn't have social stuff inside of it, that's fine. I think people that understand the mechanics of it are probably going to get it faster. It just means it's, it's going to take a bit more time and dedication, totally. I think, from people like me that are very new to it. Not having that, whole, you know, helping hand from someone that you know and you trust to be like, what am I doing? Yeah, and I think the the thing there is if you're familiar with these kind of like card games already, you kind of know what to expect uh, coming into a game like this that shows like physical cards and all that stuff. But you having not spent time with a lot of these kind of card games, it's going to be a very hard uptake for one to understand like, okay, what are these cards? What are these cards supposed to do? Right? Like, and then secondly, like, how do I even form a strategy around this thing? Because I don't get any right, of it. Right. So yeah, you've mentioned strategy <laughs> so, like uh, a couple times, and I think it's a good point. I didn't get to the point where I could form a strategy because I think I was still trying to understand the fundamentals, which we can dig more into, like how long that took for me to get there. But I can see though, like it, it's funny you walking through all of these things, uh, kind of kind of makes me want to play it again, knowing what I know now. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's almost mm, like I kind of wish I had right. that primer going in. To be honest, I probably could have gotten it. I probably could have read more about this style of game or or watched some like tutorials. Or, yeah, Watch yeah. I the think YouTube like video. Right. I, yeah. It does give me pause thinking that if I'm about to play a game that is probably more complicated, it could be a better idea to get a bit of a primer before going in. Particularly if it's the style of game that you you know perhaps don't play often or ever at all. Um, if you want to get, if you want to kind of have a, right. a maybe a faster onboarding experience or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, that's why like tutorials are really weird, right? Because I actually feel like the the tutorial and like the initial parts of this game is actually very well done. But that's considering that I've already played games. No, I would like agree this. with you. And I've not played games like this before. Um, I thought the initial few levels were, were pretty straightforward. I think though that then it kind of took off. You know, like you mentioned before that there is a point when the cards mm. get more complicated and the, the enemies get higher hit points and they do more weird things, you know, and I think at that point was when I, I like, lost the breadcrumb trail, you know, and I was lost in the jungle. Mm. Um, right, well, I think that's a good time to get into the 3 by 3s Tice. I'll start us off. So I have a problem when Electronic Games tries to mimic board games. In general. And wow. a lot of times, in general, right? So, like, they'll have yeah. an iPad version of a board game, right? And rather than it interpreting a way that uh, a physical game might manifest into an electrical game, right? Taking some things into consideration and like simplifying some things. They'll just physically show the card that's from the board game. And just, it'll just be just like, uh, almost like a video of the board game and you're controlling the elements of that board game through the screen, right? That kind of implementation I usually don't like. Um, because it's like, like why I should am just I even play playing it on, I should just get the deck of cards and my can, table. You know, I yeah, just, I know exactly what right. you mean. I've seen it years and years over, um, almost like literal translations of physical to digital, you know, and I think you can put yep. a spin on it and you can try and make it look pretty and add some animations. But if it's, if the core of the game is essentially what you would play in real life, what's the point? Right. And with this game, like I feel they actually made really good compromises and making it still feel like, Kind of like a physical card game, but making those nice electronic trade-offs that makes you feel like you're still playing an electronic game. And what that does is it gives me like a nice 
the only term that I have for it is like this nice crunchy feeling. You mentioned crunchy before. I wanted to dig into that a little bit. Right. Crunchy in so which way? Crunchy like it's doing some math and it's crunching through it. I see. Right? Like if I play a card, normally what you have to do in a tabletop world is you get that number, you calculate it, you get all the multipliers, and then you have to like figure it out. And that can so you're doing that time. with like a, like a notepad or like a, a calculator or something like? Right. When you're playing like the physical form of it, right? Like when you're playing yeah. like a board game. Um, but this, it gets you that same crunchy feeling without you doing any of the math, right? But you can like almost just figure it out instantly on how it all works itself out because it's giving you like the visual cues of saying like, oh, it's using your multiplier. It's using the special potion that you use and then the damage is blah, 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 right? And things are happening, right? You can see the math being calculated in front of you. Like you see right. numbers and uh, numbers going down and up and like little pings. And so it's essentially a visual version of what you would have to manually do if you were playing this in real life. Exactly. So it's like a really good balance between a physical game being represented in a nice electronic form. Um, and I really appreciated that about this game. What about you, Tice? What's your, uh, what's your good point? I really appreciated the detail of the characters and the cards and the UI. Like, I did not know that it was, uh, I think you said 2017 was probably the first mm -hmm. release. They probably polished it a little bit since then, but I thought it was really nice. I thought it was well-designed. It made me, like, they weren't trying to make it look, you know, too modern and flashy. Like, they just lent into that kind of fantasy um, world and and what I would have, why, what I would have expected from a game like this. And, and I thought that the the artists had done a really great job. Even on a small phone screen, I could still see the the, the level of detail. So I liked that. I thought right. it was nice. Yeah, I think the other aspect that I really liked was that, like you said, like all the details around it is very efficient. Meaning there's a lot of information on the screen, but it depends on your level of engagement with the game. You can, allow, you can just like enjoy it from the face value, not really get into the details of it and just like pick out the highlights that you might want. Like, okay, this does five damage. I'm down for that. Honestly, you, that's, that's how I started. Like it, you could just look at the cards of the two characters and just vague out on the rest of the chrome around it. And it was fine. Like I thought right. the game was like, I, I didn't even look at the top bar for at least a couple of rounds, you know, like I was just like, oh, two people, some cards, let's go. Right. But then it gives you the ability to really lean into it as well. Right. Like if you want, the, like there are ways to actually look at the card in detail, to look at your deck in detail, to look at the potential cards that you've come across, even the little items that you pick up, pick up and like the number of gold that you might have. And it makes you curious as to like why all these things are there. Uh, and so there's really good ways in this game really allows you to get deep into it, which I thought was really well done. I thought it was also good. And we've mentioned this a few times, but um, even for my limited exposure to this style of game, it immediately felt familiar to things like Magic the Gathering and some other kind of, um, would you call it turn-based? Like it, it, it is in a, to a degree, is it not, where like you need to like play the cards, you choose, you choose your path and then, mm -hmm. you, and then you, you play it. And it's then it's definitely turn-based, yeah. Okay, good, because I, ex I was explaining it to someone recently and saying uh, just someone that didn't even, wasn't aware of what turn-based meant as a game, as a game like, like principle, but I knew at least, at least I knew what that was. Uh, and it felt familiar to some of the card games that I've played and seen a lot of friends play over the years. So I thought that was good. Right. Helped me uh, understand it a little bit off the bat. Yeah, totally. Um, the last good point that I'm going to mention is that I like that this is run-based, uh, that it is a roguelike, meaning, I mean, you can still continue the current run that you're going through, 
right? So you build up your you can build up your character and your deck uh, with the cards that you're picking up, and there's definitely a play style that's involved in that. Um, some people might not like it that when you die, you have to start over from scratch, but I actually kind of appreciate that because you take all your learnings from your previous run and you can actually apply it immediately with a new run. And I think there's something very satisfying about getting that knowledge. It's kind of like um, that Tom Cruise movie. Uh, Which tomorrow, one? Uh, the, the Live, Die, Repeat movie. Edge, Edge of, tomorrow. of Tomorrow. Yeah. Edge of Tomorrow where you go again. You take your learn. Yeah. That is that is actually not a not a bad analogy. Um I'm I'm curious to yeah, for those players that would expect to maintain the deck. And I guess you would just build and build and build, like for the entirety of the X amount of levels, but the resetting I thought it was I mean, again, like I'm still pretty new to these type of games, but uh I I like that. I like the ability to take what you've learned and then go again. And each time you do that, you build up that more and more layers of familiarity. And then eventually, I imagine you can start getting really strategic. Right. Totally. Anything else good, Tice? Yeah, I, I have to um, give a shout out to how weird some of these characters were. I thought they were great. I mean, I, again, I'm still pretty new to this world of gaming, but the minds behind uh characters like this and then the designers that or artists that create them i just find so impressive there's some weird looking monsters that just i thought that was so neat um uh yeah that's it i mean i know it's pretty surface level but for me uh it's engaging you know it's engaging to look at that and, and just be like what even is that meant to be like imagine seeing that in real life because uh, it is presented in a kind of semi 2d uh like a platform style thing you know almost think like uh street fighter like like left versus right so there's you on the left, which I think the initial characters are pretty basic looking humanoid. And then on the right, the characters just get crazier and crazier. And I thought that uh, the size and the weirdness also sometimes to me seem to represent the difficulty. Mm. So again, as a beginner player, watching them go from little tiny dweebs that, you know, having had a single digit hit points to being these like really intense uh, monsters with a lot of hit points. I thought that was a really good mechanic that may be like super normal and I'm just not used to that, but I thought they were great. I thought they were really, um, they made me yeah, laugh. I did like the art style. Um, it's kind of reminded me of like either paper puppets or if you ever look at like Wes Anderson movies um, and you see like the illustrations that are in the interstitials that's like very neat, but it's not like realistic or like fully fleshed out. Right. No. But it has no. like a really charming quality to it that still depicts the pictures really well. Um, yeah, I really appreciated that as well. But let's get on to the bad points, Tice. Yeah, it's, what did you not like, Sam? Oh, I think it is. it could be very daunting, right? So this game, once you get into it, there's lots of stuff to remember. There's lots of stuff to read. It could be daunting for a lot of players. And I felt that as like a possible negative. It was. Uh, yeah, I can attest to that. Um, there is a lot to remember. There is a lot to learn. That kind of leads into my point there of like something like when to defend mm. uh, versus attack. I know we, you mentioned it earlier that part of the tactics can be going on the offensive. Um, that's generally what I gravitate towards uh, in these sort of, well, in, in fantasy style games, I would gravitate towards that, but not knowing when to defend and then just being obliterated for hit points. Like that was one of the things where I didn't really understand like when to, I, I took the approach of attack, attack, defend, attack, attack, defend, and just rinse and repeat because I didn't really know what else to do. Right. Uh, so that's where like I, I get the impression now 
having learned a lot more in this session that strategically I think I could learn more about when to attack and when to defend over the over the consequential rounds. Gotcha. But yeah, that, that was something sense. that was tough for me to get off the bat. So norm in this game, like there is a little cue that the bad guys give you that says what they're going to do next roughly on top of them. Did that not give you a clear enough signal? I'm not calling you out. I'm just asking. <laughs> Honestly, I probably wasn't even paying enough attention. I think mm. that's um, that's probably another point that that I struggle with was giving the game the attention that I think it deserves and me not doing that. It's just, mm. just not really paying attention to cues like that. Even then, another one you mentioned before, like what happens if you were not to use all of your gems? Like I don't even know what that means. Like, should I use them all? I just did because I just figured they're there to use, but there's probably right. something about not using them all. But So I do think that there is an, a, a higher level of attention required to get the most out of the game. I would say it's like, you know, we'll get to that, but I will say it's still enjoyable. But I think to get more out of it, I think I probably should have given it more time and attention right. to see those things. So I can't I can't blame the game as much as I think I'm an equal partner in, in not understanding some of that stuff just due to me not paying attention. Uh, I don't think it's completely your fault. I think some of these cues are harder to see, especially on the phone. Um, which brings me to my next point that, especially if you're playing this on the phone, like the type could actually be a little too small. Legibility um, would be a little tough. Yeah. It is translating a desktop game into an iPad game, and then that iPad game translated into an iPhone game. It started as a desktop game. Really? Yes. This is a desktop game. Yeah. I didn't know that. That makes sense. Um, it's very hard to fit all those things uh, in a small screen. And I would say as much as we both like the art style, sometimes with these types of games, uh, they'll have to make decisions because they fit the style uh, that then stylizes the text quite a lot. So they'll have to choose fonts that are inherently harder to read at smaller right. scale. So I feel like, yeah, I definitely agree on that point. Maybe they could have made some slight adjustments to the typeface for mobile. Totally. And I think they could have made a lot more adjustments when they translated it from the iPad to uh, an, a phone game because this was an iPad game for a while before it actually became a phone game. Did they just scale it down? Do you know if it's the same? I think they just scaled it down, but I Oof. think they should have made more concessions where, you know, things could be tucked away nicely in like hideable menus. A drawer or, or something, things, yeah. Pop it out when right, you need or it. Or like the cards be presented a little bit bigger so that it's easier to select or even have... Uh, some ways to just have uh, a view of the cards all together rather than like flipping one, each one, uh, and then accidentally playing them, which I think was also an issue. <laughs> that was one of my other points is on, you know, what some of the latest majors of um, iOS, uh, when you go to close the game, which is a swipe method, mm. it would play a card and vice oh. versa. And it, was, it just got <laughs> me because I was like, oh, I don't have enough time for this. And I go to close it and you don't have a button anymore. You don't have a physical button on the iPhone, right? So it would play a card and I was like, no. Oh. no. <laughs> so, so, and again, that's why I was curious if you knew if it was a direct port because I imagine that the physical space on an iPad is probably at least the width of your finger. So there's more right. room for you to dismiss the game as opposed to playing a card, whereas on a small screen, obviously everything's moved in. So some things they could have thought about for mobile would be maybe to bump the cards up a little bit from that kind of like danger space. Yeah, totally. I think they could have done a lot more, uh, especially on the phone implementation to make sure that uh, like the cards are just a little bit more playable or uh, a little bit more legible. 
I like your suggestion of hiding some things away though. I would say that 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 just to just to finish that thought that a mo- playing on a mobile device is not the same as an iPad. It's not the same as desktop, you know, like the kind of mood you're in, like the space that you have and what you're what right. you're about to do and the literally the amount of fingers you can use, you know, on an iPad you can it's like a multi-touch setup whereas um yeah, just on mobile I think that accounting for uh, that space would have been a really great move. They could still do that. They could still perhaps find the time and resources to make those changes for mobile. But I think that that's a good suggestion. Right. Um, what's your next bad point, Tice? Uh, my last one is around regenerating hit points for your character. I assume you mm. can't do that, but I didn't know. So I got really low and then I was like, well, that's me. And then I died. Mm, right. Yeah, so there are opportunities where you can take after every level, your your character would generate like eight hit points or something. You're like assuming that. that I made it past a level. No, each each encounter. Oh, each encounter. After each encounter, yeah. Lucky thing for that. Um, not only that, like you can get to campfires on a map where you have the opportunity to either sleep and recharge like twenty percent of your health, your total health, or um, like improve a card. Right, so that's another opportunity for gaining hit points. I did not. I did like the uh, the the. Do you want to do this, which has some positives and negatives, versus that, which has different positives and negatives? Uh, back when I was younger, I used to play some mud mud style mm. games. So multi user dungeons. Dungeons, yeah. yeah, right. So you know, north, north, east, east, slash, slash, run like that kind of situation. But uh, there, I did in in this game, Inside the Spire, there was an opportunity for me to to risk it and go into a cave maybe. And then it was kind of like, well, you could try. You might have your arm burned off. And I was like, let's do it. And then I did. And I was like, oh, no. And then it's like, but you could try again. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I did. Mm. And then I unlocked something. And I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. It's like little side missions. And it's it's almost like gambling because it kind of tempts you, like you're gambling with uh, this versus that. So I thought that was a really totally. nice mechanic. And I was wondering, is that is that also something that you recognize from other games like in this world or is that unique to this game right i think every board game can do that right like there are lots of board games where it's like risk versus reward right making you choose um between those opportunities and i think the introduction of that is like a completely different element but it's a nice little element that they've added that gives you some like you know a break from the fighting that you have it to does do, give yeah right? I, I totally agree it does give you a break it breaks it up uh if you are feeling like it's monotonous it's a good little sidestep when you said campfire i immediately thought that's got to be a save point or a sleep point which is nice that's a mechanic that i recognize from other games uh, outside mm-hmm. of this world yeah totally so another part that uh you might not have known is you can save your run at any point and just like quit out and it'll resume it um from the last save point which i think was very well done um, I think my last bad point I'll say is this game is a bit of a process, right? So it's not as casual as you might think. It's not just something that you can pick up and play. You kind of have to be in the mood for it. But the good news is if you're in the mood for something like this, this is almost a really good thing to always come back to because you can save at any point. Your run gets saved. Um, and the levels are relatively short. Like you can finish a round in like five minutes, which is nice bite-sized chunks that you can go through. Right. I think I, I can definitely see that being the case where like if it's almost, yeah, if you're in the mood for it, you'll probably 
really enjoy it and enjoy it for a little, for a while too. Like I'm sure, like you said, you could sit, you could nail nail around in a five or 10 minutes, but I'm sure you could sit there for an easy half hour an hour and just really go deep and go as far as you can go. So uh, there's a lot more to this game than I think you would sit, you would imagine at face level. Cause that, cause I did, I, I thought it was simpler than, than it is. So Tice, what is your final seven day rating for slay the spire? Oh, it's a tough one. Uh, this was for me, a three out of seven. I can see that. I think that's Did you fair. expect that? Yeah, kind of. Like, I think this is a very difficult, if you, especially if you're not familiar with like these sort of deck building games, plus a roguelike game, it is a lot to take in, which I think was one of my warnings last week is, oh, like this is a real, real game. Like this is a legit, you said it was Strategy. a gamey game. It's like this is it is yeah. a gamey game. It's yeah. real. It's definitely real. Although I would say that knowing what I know now, I would probably play it again and I'd probably pick it up again, knowing what I know now. If if not just for one more round through, but this time paying right. more attention and kind of like giving myself a bit more space uh to understand some of those mechanics and how to maybe last a little longer too, because I think that's one of the things that got me is you know, not really having a clear idea as to how to uh, regenerate that HP and just last a bit longer. So, right. My recommendation is to try it on the iPad, to give it a go on the iPad rather than having it on your phone. My seven day rating is six out of seven. I think, six out of seven. Yeah. Wow. For me, in terms of a game like this, hits all the marks. Um, I could tell. I feel like it's something where you 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 recognized it. It felt familiar, but a little bit different. And it seems like there are a couple of things that surprise you, but mostly in a positive way. Yeah. So things that I like, even though it has randomness, like it's still, you can use your skill and like your tactics or your, the experience that you have with it to really get you through out of a sticky situation. And there's so many sticky situations where you're like, oh, the next hit I'm dead. But then with the cards that you're dealt and the way that you play them and the order and the sequencing that you do in order to take him, it's like, I had this one moment where I was only about 10 hit points left. And then the bad guy had about 50 hit points left. And so I had that card, which is like, you can only use this card if all the rest of your cards are attack cards. But then I had two shield cards. And so I played those two shield cards first, rose my defense up. Mm -hmm. And then I spent like something like five hit points to get like additional energy. And then I played all of my attack cards and I was able to like wipe out the the bad guy wow. in like that turn. And like being able to have those moments of like brilliance. Right on the I knife think. edge. Like it could all be right. over. That is that is definitely a very gratifying feeling to feel like you've come back from that and you could you could last it just a bit longer. Right. And I think very few games can actually pull that off. And this is one of those games where it makes you feel brilliant um, for being able to do that. So only only negative is like I don't think this is that playable on the phone. Like I highly recommend it on the iPad or something where it gives you a little bit more real estate um, to take it all in. And back that up. But yeah, that's Slay the Spire. Tice, so now it is up to you to select the next game for the next seven days. I'm excited for this one, Sam. Uh, I have searched far and wide um, within the Apple Arcade, of course. And... Uh, <laughs> Found a game that I'm pretty excited for. It is called Skate City. Skate City. You know, this might actually be our first skateboarding game. Wow. Great. Mm. 
That yeah, is what we're playing okay. for the next seven days. And the tagline is, your perfect ride, comma, worldwide, period. Nice. I'm excited to play this. Your perfect ride worldwide. Good. Good. Uh, so this is only available on Apple Arcade. Sorry to uh, the Android folks. But Slay the Spire, uh, which is now a 6 out of 7 in my book, um, you can play on both iOS and Android. Multi-platform. I, I imagine that it's probably across tablet, desktop. Also desktop. You can get it on Steam. You can get it on Humble Games. You can get it on all your devices. Which could be a good thing. I could see that being a game on a on a on a much bigger screen. That uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I would actually be very curious to see how detailed it is on a bigger screen. It's probably mm. it's probably pretty impressive. Yeah, great. So before we go, Tice, do you have a thing of the week? I have two things of the week. I'm feeling greedy, but I shall pick one. Uh, the one thing nice. that caught my eye this week was the announcement of the remastered GTA 3 games that mm. a lot of people, Grand Theft Auto, um, San Andreas, Miami, and then I guess just the... Vice City. Vice City, that's it, which is mm -hmm. Miami. Uh, which is Miami. That's how long ago it was. So uh, Rockstar, I guess, have been remastering these games. Uh, they're also working on uh, remastered GTA 5 for uh, modern machines and consoles. But I was excited to see that they have remastered this. I'm curious. There are a couple of uh, notes here that they have implemented the GTA 5 control system. So it'll feel oh, more familiar to those that have played yeah. GTA 5 for the last many, many years. Uh, they have implemented new lightning lighting rather, and environmental upgrades and high-resolution mm. textures and increased draw distance. So it will probably look really good. And I'm I've always curious with these games how you can maintain the aesthetic through all of these upgrades because sometimes they stick the landing. I think right. things like Last of Us have showed us that where I, I personally think they can pe people can do a really good job of remastering and keeping keeping the game pure and it still feels like what you remember but it looks better or sounds mm -hmm. better, whatever it may be. Uh, and this is a bold move. So I'm curious to see how this right. lands. That's a few generations, right? Especially think about this, Tice. Yes, Sam. Grand Theft Auto Five is ten years old. Oh, that blows my mind. That game is like the Grand Half Life Auto engine. Five, five is, is a decade old. old, right? Yeah, and we're talking three, three in the in the, in we're the talking various spin-offs. Three, yeah, it's right. astonishing. Uh, I, I do wonder what it's like for a studio to kind of. I almost feel like someone walks over to them at like five o'clock on a Friday and says, "Here's the keys." And they go out the back and they find this basement and they walk in, there's dust everywhere. And they're like, this is what we have to work with. But it's like revered dust. You know, it's like mm. it's the kind of thing where it's, it's, it must be daunting trying to take a game or many games that people love and trying to breathe life into it in the modern day. Um, I have admiration and, and, and uh, yeah, a lot of respect for studios doing that because it would be a difficult task, I think. Not necessarily like redoing the textures. Not to downplay that, but it's just like it's more about the community because I think community in gaming can be very, very harsh if you don't stick the landing. So, yeah, that was my thing of the week. I'm really curious to see how that goes. I personally will be going, will be, would we really like to replay that and see whether, again, does it live up to the memory? Because I think that's another right. thing with gaming is games that we played 10, 15, 20 years ago hold a special place in our heart. 
And when you, you replay have the nostalgia them, they're either, your they're eyes. either brilliant yeah. or dreadful. And you're just like, why did I? Why? I mean, Hackers the movie was like that for me. I loved it as a kid and watched it a few years ago and just had to grip oh, my teeth to get This is just garbage. This is so bad. <laughs> what was right. what were they thinking but more importantly what was i thinking holding this in such high regard uh so i that's my thing of the week uh how about you nice Sam? um my thing is swedish coffee go on you wouldn't think that swedish coffee is quite amazing but every time i've gone to sweden i've had really really good coffee um and recently there was a opportune moment where someone uh, a friend of mine was having issues with the social account of a Swedish coffee company oh. on Instagram. And so in Instagram, they have like this really nice feature of being able to put a ticket for your friends that might be having issues with their Instagram account. Okay. Uh, and so it gets fast tracked because um, it's like friend of the company, right? Friend of an employer of the company. Okay. And it gets resolved fairly quickly. And so they were able to resolve like the someone hacked into their Instagram account and like took it over. And so they were able to get it back. You got some coffee, didn't you? It. And so I got some coffee from this place. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, and so it was really good. Like I've missed, you know, being in Sweden. Uh, and so this was like a nice touch of Sweden uh, in my mouth. Uh, wow. Which is good. That's great. That's so funny. This week I went to a little Dutch cafe that had all the trimmings of feeling like i was in scandinavia and in sweden it was um, that's so funny that you had a similar experience this week it's the little yeah. things like that like sight smell sound something mm -hmm. can trigger like it's something about the smell and like the way that the coffee like the body of the coffee i think there's different sensibilities right like i think um the the nice places in the u.s tend to like brighter uh like more acidic coffees right like the fruitier kind of brighter coffees. Whereas I feel in like Scandinavia, they still like the the dark roast, robust, you know, full bodied coffee. Especially in the middle of a winter that you walk outside and your eyelashes mm -hmm. freeze. You know, I think you need that. You need that stronger punch. So that's great that that transported you back. Yeah, it brought me back. So that was nice. Uh, the, cof the coffee company name is Johan and Nistrom. Oh, Johan and Nistrom. Pretty good. That's yeah. great. They have great coffee shops in Stockholm. They, I remember yep. they have very good accessibility. They have ramps um, into all the coffee shops, which not only help people um, with disabilities, but also parents with strollers. I thought oh, that was nice. brilliant. Yeah. And, and Sweden has a great parental community and culture. Uh, so they, they also, one of the Johanna Nierstrom's uh, in, in Stockholm has one of my favorite barista bars where they've essentially taken apart an espresso machine and put it under the bench. So then oh, all you see exposed is the, the, the wand for, for milk and, uh, and then the, the place where you put the actual coffee itself. So imagine a completely clean stone Flush. Scandinavian. Yeah. It's a, it's beautiful architecture. So that's a, yeah, that's a great, that's great that you, you help them out. Uh, and they, and they hooked yeah. you up with some good coffee. That is good. They coffee. sent me like four bags of coffee. It's a lot of coffee. Like fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be going through that. Yeah. It'd be a good fall there. That's great. You'd be very alert and transported. Well, that's our show. Uh, join us next week as we review or actually as we play through, uh, skate city, skate city from, from Apple arcade. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for seven days to play. And find us on your favorite podcast app by searching for Seven Days to Play. Seven Days to Play! Seven days to play.